Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, here during the great, glorious Paschal season of our Lord's resurrection. Before we continue, I'd like to invite you to what I think is going to be a wonderful little workshop or conference at my parish, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois. You can find out more about this by going to our website, byzantinecatholic.com. It's a conference put on by the Colby Center for the Study of Creation. And what it's going to be, it's going to be a marvelous presentation showing how the way that we have gravitated and essentially bought into the theory of evolution, the way this theory has essentially tailored and colored and dominated and dictated how we see, especially science and biology and so on, how that has actually been very, very injurious to our culture, to civilization. And what we're going to see is how this actually affects us in the concrete situations of our lives, from the foods we eat, to marriage and family, to medicine, to all kinds of things. And the reason is, is because this particular evolutionary hypothesis or theory, emphasis on theory, is actually a worldview that is counter to the worldview that God himself wanted us to adopt. In other words, a different worldview from the sacramental or Catholic Orthodox worldview, which is one of the things we present on this program, the way of looking at things through Eastern liturgy or through the sacramental kind of approach to everything. So it should be very fascinating and actually very, very relevant. It's not just going to be about evolution versus creationism. It's going to be about how we see things and apply them to everyday life, and we do so in a way that is erroneous. Because as a culture, especially through science and education, we have simply consented and adopted the theory of evolution as sort of the umbrella under which we look and approach everything. And there's a great error in this. And it's really important to understand this error. So when I consider this, it's June 5th at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. It'll run from 1 to 4 p.m. It's put on again by the Colby Center for Creation. You can also find out about them by going to colbycenter.org. That's K-O-L-B-E. 
Colby is spelled K-O-L-B-E, colbycenter.org. That's who will be presenting this conference, but it'll be hosted on Saturday, June 5th at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. Or you can call us at 708-645-0241. Speaking of the right worldview, I'd like to deviate just a little bit in a sense, but at the same time, maybe not, actually. I'd like to approach the subject today on Light of the East, because I think it's time that we do, finally. But we're going to do it, as always, through the prism of Eastern Christian spirituality. And this subject is something we've been hearing about over and over again in the media, in the news, especially recently, timed, of course, as always, for the Easter and Holy Week season, the issue of the clergy sex abuse in the church. I think it's time that Light of the East address this issue, especially in regard to the Pope. Now, the first thing we have to know about any issue is that we approach it from the standpoint of truth. In other words, we do what John Paul II used to do. He used to walk around an issue, sort of spiral through it 360 degrees until we finally come out at the objective, irrefutable truth. So we look at it from every angle, and we're being honest and fair and just and accurate about every aspect of the issue. So we want to bring forward some facts, and then I'm going to give some perspective and some solutions, actually, which come from, in particular, the Eastern Christian spirituality, because that's, of course, what we do in this program. We try to share the riches of the Eastern Church in complement to the riches of the West, of course, so that the Church breathes better and better and more fully with both of its lungs, East and West. First of all, some of the facts then, and then we'll go into how we can approach this issue from the Eastern Christian spirituality, something that I think has a bit of a solution, as it were, or a source of healing for this issue. First and foremost, we have to understand something, that the church is all about what is just, fair, charitable, God's truth, love. It's all about the human person in relationship to God. So what's first and foremost in the heart of the church, when all is said and done, is that we approach things from the standpoint of charity. In other words, where there needs to be healing, where there needs to be forgiveness, apology, where there is admittance of guilt or wrongdoing. All this has to be done with the sense of the dignity of the person and with the idea of the sanctity of the church and what it stands for, and of course, with a profound sense of the holiness of God. So God, the church, and human person is what we are all about here. That's what the church is about. That's what our first and foremost concern is. So we want to be right, fair, honest, truthful, compassionate, loving about human beings, about our position in relation to God about the integrity of the church. So when the church has done wrong, when there has been wrong in the church, that is, the church is never wrong in what it teaches, but it can be wrong in the church. When that happens, the church has to, first of all, come right out and be upfront and honest about it and to apologize for it, to bring always healing where there has been wrongdoing. At the same time, the church has to be very fair and honest to the whole truth of something, the whole situation, the whole reality. So there's fairness and justice and compassion for everyone involved. Whether in a situation such as clergy sex abuse, there's victims and perpetrators and people who are witnesses who come into knowledge of this, who are scandalized by this, who are hurt by this, whether in or out of the church. The church has to look at all those people. They're all, in a sense, victims themselves. Yes, even the perpetrators are victims, victims of the evils of this world and oftentimes what happened to them while they were growing up. And the church has to look at all of those persons, all those elements involved, again, from the standpoint that is most just most truthful, most compassionate, most loving, with greatest integrity, most godly. So, 
We start out with the church wherever it needs to apologize, it needs to correct, it needs to come forward, it needs to be forthright, it must do that. And the church, in fact, has been doing that. However imperfectly in different levels, admittedly, it has been doing that. The fact of the matter is, and you're going to hear some facts here in this program today that you don't hear anywhere else, the fact of the matter is, is that the Catholic Church has done more than any institution in the world that has been plagued by sex abuse scandals. The Catholic Church has done more than any other institution or organization in the world to make the church the safest place possible for children. And in fact, right now, with all the policies put in place, with all the awareness that the church now has, with the heightened awareness, with the admission of things, with the correction of things, the apologies, the forgiveness, the vigilance, it is in fact, as a point of fact, the safest place right now The safest venue anywhere on this earth for children today is, as it should be, the Catholic Church. That's absolutely right. Don't be swayed by what you hear in the media because sex abuse happens everywhere, in families, in institutions of all kinds. And in fact, it happens with greater frequency, much greater frequency in all other institutions other than the church. That's right. The church, believe it or not, has the least incident of this of any venue, of any institution. There's more of it in marriage. There's more of it among single people. There's more of it in families. There's more of it in schools, in nurseries, in schools. You name it, there is more abuse in every other venue of this world and civilization than there is in the church. However, one case in the church, of course, is too many. And it becomes magnified because of the integrity of the church and the integrity of the church that people expect the church to maintain and to have. But the fact is, the church has risen to this. Yes, admittedly, maybe not perfectly, but it has indeed risen to it in a way that would be, in contrast, meteoric. In other words, we're, we're, sending, we're, we're going into the stratosphere as far as what the church is trying to do to remedy and to heal this situation within the church. And any other institution anywhere has not held itself to the same kind of accountability as the church has. And that is a fact. So we have to, first of all, start out with our facts. Then we'll get to the part that will be, the, in a sense, the solution, the healing. Of course, looking at the facts and being honest about them is part of the healing as well, because there is no healing, there is no compassion without honesty and without truth. It's not about agendas and taking sides or being biased or battening down the hatches and running interference and covering up and so on. Nor is it irresponsible exposure and accusations. It is about what is absolutely pinpoint true and honest. That's the message of our program today, and that is the approach that the church is taking. And whenever the church, whatever level, fails to do that, that's when we have our difficulties and our troubles. So the First and foremost principle here is a call to honesty, to what is factual, to what is true, and therefore what is most compassionate. Please stay with us here as we discuss this very highly charged but significant issue of clergy sex abuse in the church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. 
Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Daughters of St. Paul sponsor a monthly study group on the theology of the body. The discussions are led by Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. Every second Saturday during the month at Pauline Books and Media, 172 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, from 10.30 until 12 noon Central Time. Simultaneously and interactively video streamed live online. As you know, we are concerned about the sacramental liturgical worldview as delivered by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. For more information, go to daughtersofstpaul.com or call 312-346-4228. Welcome back to Light of the East as we discuss the issue of clergy sex abuse and what the Eastern Christian spirituality might have to offer to this situation, to this phenomenon in terms of healing and of solutions. First of all, we mentioned we have to be accurate and factual about the whole situation. It's played over and over again in the media. Certainly, as we said before, one case is too many in the church because the world, although they might look at the church as irrelevant, at the same time, deep down inside, they want us to stand. They want us to be who we are because it's part of our universal human longing to want something that is stable and truthful. There is a kind of an irony in all this, however, because it is the secular world that forever puts this issue up in front of our faces in the media when it comes to the Catholic Church. And yet it's that same secular world that refers to the church as being irrelevant, archaic, out of touch. So if we're a non-factor in one breath, how can we be such a point of interest all at the same time? So much so that recently our issues were on the cover of Newsweek magazine, a major magazine in America, in which this article proposed to tell the church what it ought to be doing. Well, in all truth, 
how can you be doing that while at the same time referring to church as being so archaic and irrelevant and out of touch? So just another interesting point of fact, another way of being absolutely honest about this. There was a study done by a historian and sociologist, Philip Jenkins of Pennsylvania State University. And this is some of the findings that he found. And along with this, there are a number of findings, number of studies that support this type of information. According to Jenkins, and I'm reading from an article from the Center for Studies and New Religions written by an Italian sociologist named Massimo Introvina, and he's referring to this study by Mr. Jenkins. He says, according to studies by Jenkins, if one compares the Catholic Church in the United States to the major Protestant denominations, one discovers that the presence of pedophiles, depending on the denominations, is from two to ten times higher for the major Protestant denominations compared to Catholic priests. The question is important because it demonstrates that the problem is not celibacy. Most of the Protestant pastors are married. In the same period in which 100 American priests were convicted for sexually abusing minors, the number of gym teachers and coaches of junior sporting teams, also mainly married, who were convicted of the same crimes in the U.S. reached about 6,000. Examples could continue not only in the U.S., and above all, according to the regular U.S. government reports, two-thirds of sexual abuse against minors does not come from strangers or educators, including priests and Protestant pastors, but from family members, stepfathers, uncles, cousins, brothers, and unfortunately even parents. Similar facts exist for numerous other countries. While it may hardly be politically correct to say so, there is a fact that is much more important. Over 80% of pedophiles are homosexuals, that is, males who abuse other males. And again, citing Jenkins, over 90% of Catholic priests convicted for sexually abusing minors have been homosexual. If a problem has sprung up in the Catholic Church, it is not due to celibacy, but to a certain tolerance of homosexuality in seminaries, particularly in the 1970s, when most of the priests later convicted for the abuses were ordained. This is a problem that Benedict XVI is rigorously correcting. More generally, a return to moral principles, to ascetical discipline, to meditating on the true greatness of the priesthood are the antidotes to the real tragedy of pedophilia. The year of the priest might also help. A couple of qualifications in the words that we just heard here in this quotation. First of all, we don't normally use the word, I don't personally, we don't hear in light of the East. We don't use the word homosexual. It was used in the article and it's commonly used, but we don't use that word. Rather, we prefer to speak as the church does. We speak in terms of persons. We don't label people and categorize them. Everybody's a person, loved by God, worthy of dignity, reflecting the image and likeness of God. A, some persons, through no fault of their own, may have developed what they believe is a sexual attraction to the same gender. Now, that's a long way of explaining the meaning of what is more commonly used as homosexual, but we don't use that label. I think it's very insensitive to do so. It's very insensitive and not compassionate to label someone, even if they want to be labeled. So we don't use that label here, although it was quoted in the article. Secondly, pedophilia. Pedophilia refers to something very specific. That means it's a sexual molesting of children who were not adolescent, who were pre-adolescent, in other words, young children. As you heard from the article, the largest amount of sexual abuse cases when it came to clergy in the Catholic Church had to do with young people who were the age of teenagers, mid-teens to upper teens, young adults, which made this actually the more perfect word for it would be pederasty, pederasty. You can say that it leans towards or it's a subset of so-called homosexual behavior, but it is not pedophilia. Pedophilia is something different. So that's another fact that we have to keep in mind. And again, one case of pedophilia is too much anywhere, especially in the church. But the fact of the matter is, 80 to 90% of these cases were not pedophilia cases. Rather, they were pederasty cases. So what is the answer then? 
Well, as we just heard, uh, it was alluded to in this one quotation where it said, more generally, a return to moral principles, to ascetical discipline, to meditating on the true greatness of the priesthood are the antidotes to the real tragedy of pedophilia, or for any kind of abuse, for that matter. This statement is true, but I want to expand on it by bringing in some of the riches of the Eastern Church. One of the greatest riches of the Eastern Church is what I call its sense of integration, of sort of living in the both and, where something is not either or, or diametrically posed, or on two poles, but rather two things can coexist together and still remain distinctly what they are, while at the same time, in a sense, being two sides of the same coin. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, first of all, let's look at the Holy Trinity, which, of course, the Eastern Church always speaks in terms of the Holy Trinity. Our God is one God, one. At the same time, this God that we believe in is three persons. Now, how can you combine three and one? Isn't that different? Isn't more than one different than one? Well, yes, but the mystery is, is that three distinct persons become one God, not either or. It's not just one God, It's not just three persons. It's three persons which become one God. Now, this kind of seeming paradox is what we call mystery. And mystery is the key to all of this. And so we're going to apply this sense of mystery, this model of the Trinity, to the area of human sexuality, especially the area of marriage and celibacy. See, in the East, there's a very integrated view of marriage and celibacy. In other words, marriage and celibacy are not diametrically opposed. And this is where we got into some of the trouble, which then gave rise to the clergy sex abuse scandal. It's when we do not have an integrated view, a sacramental liturgical view of our human sexuality, especially of things of marriage and celibacy, this is when we get into trouble. In other words, it is not the so-called policies of the church that caused this. It was actually the church on certain levels not being faithful to its own quote-unquote policies, or more accurately, its spirituality, its true charism, its true gifts, its true genius. In the Eastern Church, especially with people like St. John Chrysostom, a great father of the Eastern Church, after whom our main liturgy of our church is named, he used to say that every married person is a monk. Yes, every married person is a monk. In other words, There has to be an element of monasticism in the life of every married couple. And conversely, every married couple has to have an element of monasticism in their marriage. They're both two sides of the same coin. Now, this is a very healthy, integrated view to both celibacy and marriage. It's a very positive one. It's not one based on the fact that celibacy is everything that we're denied and marriage is everything we can have. It's based upon the fact that both are ways of living a life of self-giving, of loving as God loved. In other words, to put it in the words of John Paul II, to live and to love spousally. The celibate is espoused in a sense to God, to Christ in the case of women celibates, or to the church in the case of male celibates. Married people at the same time have to have elements of the monasticism in their life to be successful, happy married people. In other words, they have to have the elements of asceticism. Both married and monastic people live by this principle, their baptismal promise, continually dying to self and rising to their better self, rising to Christ, dying to that which is not of God and rising and embracing that which is. The monastics and the married people just do it in different ways, but they do it as two sides of the same coin. Now, what happens here is we start to then get a healthier, more integrated view of things like celibacy. See, the world sees celibacy as excess baggage, as something archaic and stupid, and the cause of the clergy sex abuse scandal. But this is because 
they do not have an Eastern Christian approach to celibacy, nor a Western Catholic approach as well. Celibacy is a way to love in a spousal way. And if that was rediscovered in conjunction with the rediscovery of marriage as having monastic elements, you would not have seen, first of all, a clergy sex abuse scandal. You would have seen more vocations. You would have seen an improvement in marriage and family. But where we fail to look at these things, such as marriage and celibacy, sacramentally, as does the Eastern Church, to the degree we fail to do this is where we got into trouble. So the answer might very well be in not becoming less Catholic East or West, but actually more Catholic, and for that matter, more Orthodox East and West. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. (laughs) 